0: Good evening. The Rochester police officer who killed a black man and hid the videos for months won't be charged. The Indian Point nuclear power plant decommissioning plan draws controversy. A day of hearings in Washington, including the investigation into the January 6th Capitol invasion. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. Police officers shown on body camera video holding Daniel Prude down naked and handcuffed on a city street last winter until he stopped breathing will not face criminal charges. That's according to a grand jury decision announced Tuesday. The 41-year-old black man's death last March sparked nightly protests in Rochester, New York after the video was released nearly six months later, with demonstrators demanding a reckoning for police and city officials. State Attorney General Letitia James, whose office took over the prosecution and in the grand jury said her office presented the strongest case possible and she was extremely disappointed by the decision
1: in the course of our investigation we concluded that there was sufficient evidence surrounding mr prude's death to warrant presenting the case to a grand jury we presented the strongest case possible but today the grand jury decided not to indict any police officer on charges related to to Daniel Prude's death. I know that the Prude family, the Rochester community, and communities across the country will rightfully be disappointed by this outcome. My office presented an extensive case and we sought a different outcome than the one the grand jury handed us today. We made every attempt to demonstrate the facts But ultimately, we have to respect the decision. I want to thank the members of the grand jury for their service. The system was built to protect and shield officers from wrongdoing and accountability. The system too often allows officers to use deadly force unnecessarily and without consequence. And that is a system that at its core is broken. I will be pursuing a multifaceted approach to addressing the very issues that have prevented us from holding officers accountable who use deadly force without justification. The cornerstone of this effort is to amend the use of force law from one of subjective, simple necessity to one of absolute last resort exhausting all other non lethal means before resorting to deadly force.
0: And that's Letitia James, the Attorney General, on the lack of a charge from the grand jury that was in Rochester looking into the case of Daniel Prude. The video was made public on September 4th. It shows Prude handcuffed and naked with a spit hood over his head as an officer pushes his face into the ground, while another officer presses a knee to Prude's back. The officers held him down for about two minutes until he stopped breathing. He was taken off life support a week later. The county medical examiner listed the manner of death as homicide caused by complications of asphyxia in the setting of a physical restraint and cited PCP, the drug PCP, as a contributing factor. Prude's family filed a federal lawsuit alleging the police department sought to cover up the true nature of his death. Officers Troy Dalate. Paul Ricotta, Francisco Santiago, Andrew Spexgur, Josiah Harris, and Mark Vaughn, along with Sergeant Michael Magri, were suspended after Prude's death became public. James said in a prepared release, Well, I know the Prude family, the Rochester community, and communities across the country will rightfully be devastated and disappointed we have to respect this decision. Democratic Mayor Lovely Warren fired Police Chief LaRon Singletary shortly after the video's release. While rejecting calls from demonstrators that she resigned, Singletary has said in legal papers that Warren told him to lie to support her assertion that she hadn't learned of Prude's death until months later and fired him for his refusal to do so. A city spokesperson said this version of events confirms Warren never saw the video until August. And we'll be following that story in depth here at WBAI. Indian Point Nuclear Plant, it's another story we've been covering for many years at WBAI. That's located in Buchanan, New York. Well, it's being decommissioned, but the process has been controversial. A hearing was held today into the controversy over the company being considered for the job of tearing down the decades-old nuclear plant located about 50 miles north of New York City. WBAI's Donna Stein is New York City Chair of Clearwater, the environmental group.
2: It is a dangerous plant. It operated long past its legal limit, and they kept renewing the license when it wasn't healthy for it to be staying alive. Now, they're continuing to do something that is damaging, that they are transferring the license to a company that has no experience with decommissioning, that has a very high rate of violations Even the World Bank is suing it and will not work with it. Tennessee Valley Authority will not work with it. Maybe New York should listen to some other organizations that object to the license transfer to this particular company. This company is Holtec, H-O-L-T-E-C, International. Holtec is a scary operation. They promise the world. They promise that they'll keep on people with jobs. That's the biggest, biggest reason why people want to keep this transfer happening to Holtec. Because they say, oh, we've got jobs and we're a union and we need this. Yes, yes, we need the jobs also. But we don't need the jobs at the expense of a nuclear accident, of a company that says they're going to take care of the decommissioning of the plant. The hearings today were just the first part where people can voice what they feel, but they have up until Friday the 26th at 5 o'clock to write their comments and to register the comments. We want as many, many, many people to write in to say that we do not need this dangerous company to overtake and take over the decommissioning of this plant. People get all the uh, information they need to submit their written comments if they go to clearwater.org. Just look for the action or the PSC hearing uh, link on the page for CLEAR, dot org.
0: And that is Donna Stein, and she's from WBAI. She co-hosts Ecologic with Ken Gale. She's New York City Chair of Clearwater. The program Ecologic will be hosting a special program at Indian Point this Friday at 1 p.m. on WBAI. In related news, the shutdown of a nuclear reactor in Texas has contributed to the state's power shortage crisis caused by extreme cold weather. One of the two reactors shut down at the South Texas Nuclear Power Station an hour southwest of Houston, knocked out about half of its 2,700 megawatts of generating capacity. The plant, which is one of the newer ones in the country, normally provides power to more than 2 million Texas homes. The second reactor at the plant, which is operating as normal, is currently providing more than 1,300 megawatts of electricity. The shutdown was caused by the disruption of a feed water pump caused by the cold weather that struck Texas last week, killing dozens and shutting down clean drinking water and electricity supplies to millions throughout the state. And in Washington, security officials testifying at Congress's first hearing on the deadly siege of the Capitol cast blame and pointed fingers on Tuesday, but also acknowledged they were woefully unprepared for the violence. Senators drilled down on the stunning security failure and missed warning signs as rioters loyal to former President Donald Trump stormed the Capitol on January 6th in a misguided attempt to stop lawmakers from certifying President Joe Biden's election. Five people died in the attack, including a Capitol police officer. The security officials lost their jobs, and Trump was impeached by the House on a charge of inciting the insurrection, the deadliest attack on Congress in 200 years. Trump was ultimately acquitted by the Senate. The hearing opened with Capitol Police Captain Carnesha Mendoza, a 19-year veteran of the force, delivering a compelling personal account of being called at home that day as she was spending time with her 10-year-old before the start of her shift. She rushed to the Capitol only to find the worst of the worst scene of her career.
3: Officers received a lot of gas exposure, which is worse inside the building than outside because there's nowhere for it to go. I received chemical burns to my face that still have not healed to this day. I immediately assumed command in the rotunda and called for additional assets. After a couple hours, officers cleared the rotunda but had to physically hold the door closed because it had been broken by the rioters. Officers begged me for relief as they were unsure how long they could physically hold the door closed, with the crowd continually banging on the outside of the door, attempting to gain reentry. Eventually, officers were able to secure the door with furniture and other objects. I know some said the battle lasted three hours, but according to my Fitbit, I was in the exercise zone for four hours and nine minutes, and many officers were in the fight even before I arrived. The night of January 7th, into the very early morning hours of my birthday, January 8th, I spent at the hospital comforting the family of our fallen officer and met with the medical examiner's office prior to working with fellow officers to facilitate a motorcade to transport Officer Sicknick from the hospital. Of the multitude of events I've worked in my nearly 19-year career in the department, this was by far the worst of the worst. As an American and as an Army veteran, it's sad to see us attacked by our fellow citizens. I'm sad to see the unnecessary loss of life. I'm sad to see the impact this has had on Capitol Police officers. And I'm sad to see the impact this has had on our agency and on our country.
0: Capitol Police Captain Karnatia Mendoza. Bear spray and military-style tear gas was reportedly used by the invaders, which included openly fascist groups like the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and Three Percenters. Washington, D.C. Police Chief Robert Conti said his officers were ready that day, but they got no support from the feds.
4: In preparation for the anticipated demonstrations and the possibility of violence on city streets, MPD was fully deployed on 12 hour shifts the week of January 4th with days off and leave canceled. At Mayor Bowser's request, several area police departments were on standby in DC and more than 300 members of the National Guard were deployed on district streets providing traffic control and other services. However, these resources were barely enough to counter an event that had never happened in the history of the United States. A mob of thousands of American citizens launching a violent assault on the U.S. Capitol, the seat of our government, in an attempt to halt the counting of the electoral ballots, an essential step in the peaceful transfer of power in our nation.
0: And that's um, Chief Conte, Robert Conte, he's the chief of police in Washington, D.C. Crucially, a key warning flare from the FBI field office in Norfolk, Virginia, of a war on the Capitol was sent the night before the Capitol Police into, uh, to the Capitol Police's intelligence division. But then Capitol Police Chief Steven Sund testified that he only learned about it the day before Tuesday's hearing.
5: The assessment indicated that members of the Proud Boys, white supremacist groups, Antifa, and other extremist groups were expected to participate on January 6th and that they may be inclined to become violent. Based on the intelligence that we received, we planned for an increased level of violence at the Capitol and that some participants may be armed. But none of the intelligence we received predicted what actually occurred. As recent as Tuesday, January 5th, during a meeting I hosted with my executive team, the Capitol Police Board, and a dozen of the top law enforcement and military officials from D.C., No entity, including the FBI, provided any new intelligence regarding January 6th. It should be also noted that the Secretary of Homeland Security did not issue an elevated or imminent alert in reference to the events at the United States Capitol on January 6th. We properly planned for a mass demonstration with possible violence. What we got was a military-style coordinated assault on my officers and a violent takeover of the Capitol building.
0: And that is... Stephen Sund, who was then Capitol Police Chief, he resigned under pressure right after the January 6th offense. Sund, who had raised the idea of calling on the National Guard for backup days earlier, specifically recounted a one oh nine p.m. phone call he made to the then Sergeant at Arms of the House, Paul Irving, his superior, requesting National Guard troops. But Irving said today he didn't get the message.
6: All right, Mr. Uh, Mr. Irving, you said in your testimony that when – Asked for National Guard assistance, you approved it. Uh, Mr. Sun stated that he asked for the National Guard assistance at 109, and you approved it, was approved at 210. Why would it take an hour to approve National Guard assistance on your part
5: in that moment of crisis? Mr. Irving. Senator, from my recollection, I did not receive a request for approval for National Guard until shortly after 2 p.m. when I was in Michael Stanger's All right, office.
6: let me get that straightened out. Mr. Sun, do you know when you asked for National Guard assistance? Was it 109 or was it 2 p.m.? It was 109, sir. 109. And who did you ask for assistance at 109? It was from uh, Mr. Irving. I believe he was in the
5: company of Mr. Stanger at the time as well. And Mr. Irving, why would you not remember that? Senator, I have no recollection of a conversation with Chief
0: Sun. And Mayor de Blasio weighed in today as well on this whole imbroglio. He was asked if he knew if any New York City cops were involved in the Capitol invasion.
5: Anyone who was there, anyone who participated in the attack on the Capitol, including attacks that led to the death of a law enforcement officer defending the Capitol, anyone who participated needs to suffer the consequences. But we do not have any example at this point of someone who still works for the city of New York Uh, being a part of that uh, from the police department. But I will tell you, Emma, that there's ongoing investigation being done by the FBI of everyone who was present. Uh, We're still waiting to see if there's anyone else that we don't know about yet. But as of this moment, we do not know of anyone uh, who works for us at the PD
0: who was present. And that's Mayor de Blasio. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The first Native American to be nominated to the cabinet... United States Representative Deb Haaland took her first step toward becoming Interior Secretary while absorbing significant Republican criticism for her past contentious standpoints during the first day of her Senate confirmation hearing today. As head of the Department of Interior, she would oversee a sprawling executive agency that manages nearly one-fifth of the entire land area of the United States, including all of the national parks, and that contains nearly 20% of the nation's energy production.
7: As a daughter of a Pueblo woman, I was taught to value hard work. My mother is a Navy veteran, was a civil servant at the Bureau of Indian Education for 25 years, and she raised four kids as a military wife. My dad, the grandson of immigrants, was a 30 year career Marine who served in Vietnam. He received the Silver Star and is buried at Arlington National Cemetery. I spent summers in Mesita, our small village on Laguna Pueblo. It was in the cornfields with my grandfather where I learned the importance of water and protecting our resources where I gained a deep respect for the earth. I know the bipartisan accomplishments of this committee stand out in Congress. There's no question that fossil energy does and will continue to play a major role in America for years to come. I know how important oil and gas revenues are to critical services, but we must also recognize that the energy industry is innovating and our climate challenge must be addressed. Together, we can work to position our nation and all of its people for success in the future. And I am committed to working cooperatively with all stakeholders and all of Congress to strike the right balance going forward
0: and that it's Deb Haaland she's the nominee for head of the Department of Interior if nominated she would be the first Native American in the United States cabinet And President Joe Biden's choice for the nation's top health official largely avoided hostile fire from Republicans while testifying before the Senate Health Committee today, though several GOP senators expressed concerns about his lack of direct health care experience, as well as his support for abortion rights. Xavier Becerra, who is California's first Latino attorney general, was tapped by Biden to be his health and human services director in early December. But Becerra did have a discussion with his ally that was very friendly, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders.
6: By stating what you already know, that the United States is the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people. Uh, Today, some 90 million Americans are either uninsured or underinsured. We pay by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, resulting in one out of four Americans not being able to afford the medicine that they need. So my first question is, what are you going to do to substantially lower the cost of prescription
0: drugs? No one should have to experience what I saw as a child when my mom was whisked away to the hospital, not knowing if they'll be able to afford the care. President Biden is committed. He has said without mistake that we are going to build on the Affordable Care Act, and that is what I hope to do. There is unanimity, bipartisan support for tackling the high cost of prescription medication. That will be one of my priorities is to deal with it swiftly, try to tackle it as the attorney General. Uh, I try to work on that when I was in the House, and I look forward to working with you and members of, of this body in the future.
6: Um, could you give us any more specificity? Members of Congress have been talking about this issue for decades, and yet the pharmaceutical industry is enormously powerful. They continue to be in a position where they can charge Americans any price they want. case of insulin, for example, we pay 10 times more than our neighbors in Canada do. Because we have no regulations over them.
0: And that is Bernie Sanders having a discussion about drug pricing with President Biden's nominee, who is California's first Latino attorney general. It's hard to believe that a country that's hundreds of years old. We're talking about the first Latino attorney general, of the state of California, and the first Native American to sit on the cabinet of the United States. It is mind boggling. That's my editorializing. I'm Paul so. As secretary, Becerra would play a key role in combating the pandemic, which has now claimed more than 500,000 American lives, up from more than 283,000 when he was nominated. The Biden administration has been operating without anyone in the post for more than a month. In New York, meanwhile, the director of Somos Community Care, a network of 2,500 doctors that serve poor communities in New York City, is Dr. Roman Talaj He says Becerra is a breath of fresh air, someone who the Spanish-speaking doctors in this network can work with.
8: you got a Latino there for the first time. I know. He must know what it looked like in low-income communities. mean, are disproportionately uh, losing their loved one with poor incomes. Different in access to healthcare, he will know exactly what this community and he will prioritize us. I believe he will meet with us and he will take care of what needs to be taken care of in this community. One, there's no sensitivity when you are not suffering, you are not being there. And it's not the same thing to be a scholar being in university, talking about Medicaid patients and making decisions for them when you are somebody who comes from the same place.
0: And you have lived what it means to be that. And that's Dr. Roman Talaj. Dr. Talaj says the city should not rely on these giant sites like Citi Field and Yankee Stadium and Empire um, uh, Shopping Center in Staten Island, but instead should put more reliance on the community care physicians who understand prevention much better than the city officials do. The way that they
8: hire us to do in the Yankee Stadium in the and the, the, the restrictions on churches. We as the doctors directly to get to our patients zero vaccine. You know, I don't understand that. Hopefully to get a lot of vaccine to be given. Pharmacies, urgent care centers. No one of them is a champion in preventive care. Primary care doctors in the community are the champion. We need the vaccine in our hands. When the urgent care center uh, There's a, a document somewhere around there used to have in my hands saying that it would be a good lobby. You know, in the, the beginning, before the, the change in government, to be sure that they were the one getting the vaccine after the hospitals. You know, I don't understand if you have a, especially in my group, 2,500 doctors in the community, primary care. But doesn't need to be trained. doesn't need to be trained to any emergency happen or to inject people. We know. That's what we call preventive medicine. We do that. We haven't got it. And it's your fault, yes, it's a fault. We are prepared to do more than thirty thousand vaccines a day if they're giving a program. Vaccine at the beginning, as you remember, we storage in hospital. Not being used. You know, it's proposal.
0: It should be given to the people right away, people's arm as soon as they come. And that's Dr. Roman Talaj. He's the director of Somos Community Care, a network of 2,500 doctors that serve poor communities in New York City. And just to reiterate what he said, don't use these sites. I mean, use them, but don't rely on them. Use the doctors instead and don't use all these methodologies to uh, decide who should get the shots in their arms, but just get it into their arms. First shot, first serve. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News. Thanks for listening.